Well, welcome to another edition of the Broadcast Week here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad you have tuned in today. Today's one of those kind of, I like to call it a 50-50 holiday. Uh, not that it is worth half of what other holidays are worth here in the United States, but let's face it, there are a couple of holidays here in the U.S. that actually happen right at the start of the new year, uh, the Martin Luther King Day and President's Day that aren't always recognized as holidays. I mean, they're federal holidays for federal employees. You don't get your postal service, can't go to the bank, that whole bit. But they aren't necessarily always recognized by um, your employer, uh, which is be partly be part of the reason why we're all here today. Not that we, no complaints. I, I mean, I, it's nice to be on the air with you here on MLK Day and uh, coming up later in the program, I'll give you a chance to kind of weigh in on his legacy and uh, hear some rather fascinating insights from the guy who helped craft the I Have a Dream speech, who admitted in an interview to the Wall Street Journal recently, as we're coming up, can you believe it, the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech is August 28th of this year. Incredible to think, excuse me, 60th anniversary. Where's my head, right? 1963, 40 years, 60th anniversary. And when you consider a quarter million people at the Washington Mall listening to this speech, and uh, the big revelation, the big reveal, if you will, with regard to some new insight on that speech and how it was crafted, uh, truly incredible uh, to hear, especially when you, you know, for people who said this was a God moment. Um, yeah, trust me, it was. Um, Scott Powell has a piece up in The Federalist today, and I've got it linked at thebottomlineshow.com. Thank you, Tamara. Uh, titled, the, uh, what Today's Cultural Marxists Would Be Wise to Learn, from Martin Luther King Jr. And the gist of the article is the fact that everything it seems that the cultural Marxists have been working toward, I call them totalitarian leftists uh, in this culture, to marginalize people based on race and gender, you know, ethnicity, that type of stuff, is really the antithesis of what Martin Luther King Jr. actually fought for. Uh, opening paragraph from uh, Scott Powell. Martin Luther King Jr. was more than a great pastor and civil rights leader. He had a deep mind of discernment that focused on timeless truths. The holiday in his commemoration is not only the time to celebrate his depth, character, and accomplishments, but it is also an occasion to reflect on the conditioning and brainwashing that characterized today's leftist identity politics, which seeks to normalize the legitimacy of divisive and demoralizing ideologies that Dr. King actually fought against. In contrast, Martin Luther King Jr. was all about constructive action directed at racial and social healing through truth, love, and peaceful nonviolent debate and protest. Those who claim to hold up the torch of civil rights today, the BLM movement, etc., etc., would do well to heed King's own words as well as the timeless works he often drew from them. When you consider that the founders of Black Lives Matter openly admit to being Marxists, I mean, the question you have to ask, Scott Powell poses, is what good ever came out of Marxism? Why sh while some newcomers to the philosophy might idealistically presuppose that their cause is about a socialistic utopia, the outcomes of socialism in practice in divisive nations have almost all ended in poverty and misery. Martin Luther King Jr. recognized that the self-evident truth of the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, was not realized in 1776, nor when the U.S. Constitution was ratified nearly 14 years later, nor was Lincoln's Gettysburg Address proposition that all men are created equal fulfilled through the Civil War's Emancipation Proclamation. 
Uh, in fact, Dr. King would be jailed 29 times over the course of his life in fulfilling those ideals. But it's interesting. Scott Powell writes, in King's most famous I Have a Dream speech deliver, delivered from the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. on August 28, 1963, it was as if the Almighty was calling America to rise up and fulfill its spiritual destiny. To the self-evident truth of all people having equal value, Dr. King added an equally timeless truth that, quote, people should not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. And then he continues, were it possible to transport Martin Luther King into the present, he would be shocked by the regression that has taken place in America in the nearly three generations since he led the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. He would likely reject the eclipse of the group, gender, and ethnic identity evaluation paradigm over the individual merit and character-based approach for assessment, acceptance, and advancement, whether in school admission or hiring or promotion in the workplace. Uh, it's very interesting because I, when you hear the words of the speechwriter for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Clarence Jones is his name. Um, he shares a great moment in a clip that we'll share with you later in the broadcast about how when he was making the speech, uh, it was the singer, gospel great Mahalia Jackson, who was there right up front. And you got this big audience of white and African-American and Latino, and I'm just it's a really mixed bag of people, though the leadership all at the dais are, are black. And she, he's in the middle of making his prepared remarks, which are, you know, he delivers with that great oratorio sound. I mean, he just had that. I, is there a speaker representing any cultural cause that can compel and capture an audience today like Martin Luther King Jr. did in the 1960s? I'd be hard-pressed to find one. I think you would be too, <laughs> in all honesty. But at one point, Mahalia Jackson looks over at Dr. King and says, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And then he moves the speech off to the left and begins with I Have a Dream. Uh, Clarence Jones is going to tell that story coming up later in the program today. So I, I hope you have the opportunity to celebrate Dr. King's birthday. Uh, but I realize, too, that many people are probably listening to the Bottom Line Show right now, driving home from work because your company said, yeah, it's a federal holiday, but we don't recognize it. So uh, if that is, in fact, the case, then that is, in fact, the case. Hey, uh, if, especially for our Southern California listeners, um, how are you holding up? I mean... <laughs> I know that when the rain continues and it comes and it comes and it just beats down and, and pounds on us and wreaks havoc on what's happening in the culture, record rainfall is, you know, is everywhere, up and down the state, primarily in Northern California. But, I mean, if you heard about the story over the weekend, it was a woman in a creek in Laguna Hills who was hanging onto a tree and had to be rescued. There was another uh, family in, in Woodland Hills that was impacted by a falling tree in a parking lot there. Um, the, the fact that it made, you know, it was kind of a light drizzle yesterday, but, you know, more of it picking up today. This atmospheric river that's been uh, making its way through the western United States is incredible. Today was the ninth edition of that, and for what the meteorologists tell us, the final one. Uh, downtown L.A. yesterday, 1.82 inches, a record rainfall. Um, it, it, a record rainfall by about a tenth of an inch. I mean, so... Don't get, don't get too concerned about that. But check this out. Average rainfall in the Los Angeles area from the start of the fiscal year, October 1st, through the start of the rainy season, through the end of the rainy season, typically it is 5.5 inches. As of today, we have received 11.91 inches in downtown Los Angeles. 
it's a lot of rain. Um, you've got snowpack. I mean, uh, snowfall could land beneath 7,000 feet, 5 to 10 inches possible. Another 5 to 10 inches, 5,500 5, feet. Um, incredible to see what happens. Uh, by the way, that uh, Aliso Creek was where the, uh, the tree fell yesterday, and at 24,400 block of Christina Court, uh, yes, uh, Saturday afternoon actually was the rescue, 3.30 uh, p.m., uh, it's amazing to see places anywhere from Cyprus to, I mean, of course, there's a, uh, a bit of a, <laughs> there was someone posted this from Caltrans, a lot of action in the mountain areas during the ground saturation. If you don't have to travel, literally the hashtag was stay home and watch football. So um, uh, do that as far as you can. $30 billion worth of damage in Southern California. Well, I think throughout the entire state and Northern California is getting hit the hardest. Now, the state's response is, well, we don't have any money. Remember during the pandemic, all we heard from Governor Newsom was $50 billion surplus and California leads the league, blah, blah, blippity, blah. And then all the free money stopped coming in from the federal government. I mean, remember that? Free money? I mean, part of Cal it didn't take too long to look and see that the vast majority of California's increase in funding didn't come from increased revenues, better taxes, better business climate. It came from free money from the federal government and disaster relief because of the COVID uh, pandemic. We were looking at a $21 billion shortfall in fiscal 2021. And all of a sudden it became a $75 billion surplus. Well, guess what? As we're looking toward the new 22, uh, 23-24 budget, we're at a $22 billion deficit again, which means cutting of state services, et cetera, et cetera. But how come all this rain isn't ending the drought? And what kind of havoc is it wreaking on the homeless situation? Well, the drought question is answered very simply. I mean, if you have record rainfall and 95% of it is getting washed into the ocean because you have environmental laws that prevent you from building new reservoirs and new dams, then shame on us. I was talking with uh, an author friend of mine who's in, uh, I think, one of the Carolinas uh, not too long ago, and she was asking, how are things going? You know, what's it like in the state and everything? And I said, well, basically, we just keep shooting ourselves in the foot. And she, her response was, yeah, it seems like a lot of California's problems are self-inflicted. Ouch, but very true. One of the area, other areas that California has a huge problem with over the course of the past couple of years, it's gotten even worse, is homelessness. And there's a new movie out that actually offers, I think, some more practical suggestions to dealing with the homeless crisis because it's based on a true story. You may be familiar with the story 5,000 Blankets, the story of Cindy Bunch and her son Philip, uh, Philip Sr., uh, suffering from mental uh, challenges and wound up on the streets of Dallas area, uh, maybe Fort Worth. And he, um, one night they were out driving the streets looking for him, and Philip asked his mother, you know, is dad going to be okay? Is he going to be warm? And, well, I hope he has a blanket like I do. And then they started looking around and seeing how many people were in their immediate area. There are about 5,000 homeless people. And Philip started getting after his mom, saying, Mom, what can we do to help with the homeless people who might be cold at night? And the Ministry of 5,000 Blankets was born. Uh, Cindy Bunch, as the, her story is the... Uh, uh, the basis of the new movie, 5,000 Blankets. Uh, we had a chance to talk with the director uh, of the movie last December when the movie was in theaters. It's now available on Pure Flix for streaming, and you know what that means. It's Movie Monday here on the Bottom Line Show, and we're giving away a Pure Flix subscription. Six months for free. 
But you got to call in after Cindy Bunch and I have this conversation. Okay, so my car number handy, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Cindy Bunch coming up next as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Well, a special guest joining me today here on Movie Monday here on the Bottom Line Show. Before the end of 2022, I was sharing with you about a powerful movie that was in theaters called 5,000 Blankets. And we've got a link for the movie 5,000BlanketsMovie.com up at TheBottomLineShow.com. It's the powerful story of Cindy Bunch. And uh, it's told through dramatic you know, interpretation, of course, and actors and actresses. But today here on the program, we actually have Cindy with us. And I mm-hmm. want to welcome Cindy Bunch to The Bottom Line Show to talk about her story in 5,000 Blankets. Cindy, welcome to the broadcast today. Well, thanks for having me. I really uh, appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you telling your story, number one, but more, maybe more importantly, living your story, too. Uh, kind of take us back to that moment uh, where this all began, because a lot of people are wondering, okay, 5,000 Blankets, that's kind of an interesting title for a movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about what the 5,000 Blankets represents and how this impacted you and your young son and your husband as well. When Philip, my son, who's 26 now, believe it or not, when he was five and a half, (laughs) yeah, well, his dad was diagnosed with um, schizophrenia Mm -hmm. back before when Philip was a baby. Mm -hmm. And, um, but he was on medications and he stopped taking his medications when Philip was about five. Mm -hmm. And um, he would just, he was working downtown in Fort Worth on, he was a construction engineer, extremely intelligent. And um, he just started disappearing. He started hearing voices and just wouldn't come home. And mm. so um, Philip and I would go out looking for him. And unbeknownst to us, two blocks away from where he was working was the homeless district. Mm. Uh huh. Wow. So we started driving through there. And Philip got to see a lot of things that most children. And most adults don't encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would do that quite often. We would drive and just at night during the day, just whenever we had time, because I was working two jobs at the time living with my mom because we'd mm-hmm. lost basically everything we owned. Right. And um, so one night after a long day of searching for um, um, Philip's dad, I I was tucking him into bed and he says to me, it was December, it was early December. He says, mommy, are you warm? And I thought that was a little odd. And I said, yeah, baby, I'm warm. 
And he says, um, do you think my daddy's warm? Mm. And, you know, you always want to make sure your child's comforted. Sure, and sure. So I told him, yeah, I, I think daddy's warm. And um, then he said, well, mommy, what about all those people that are living in the tents and around those barrels? Mm. Yes. Wow. And those barrels. And he would call them barrels, but they were actually fire pits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were fire pits. And I basically just told him the truth. I said, no, baby, they're not. They're not warm. And his comeback was, well, we need to get blankets, lots and lots of blankets to warm them all up. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. And I didn't think much more about it until mm-hmm. the next morning when he was getting ready for school. He brought me his piggy bank. Mm. And it, yeah. Oh, wow. It had $7.20 in it. He says, Mommy, will you go buy blankets while I'm at school? And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? $7.20 is not going to buy a lot of blankets. Mm -hmm. It's not going to buy a half a blanket. Right. So I just kind of ignored it. And he comes home from school. And this kid would not stop about these blankets. Uh Yeah. And it was like, okay. I need to listen to him. He's trying to tell me that mm-hmm. there's a whisper coming from some, because he wouldn't stop about these blankets and warming everybody up. So um, I thought, I, I've got to do something. And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any money. I didn't know how to even start. So <laughs> what I did, I know this sounds crazy, but I typed up a three-page letter telling our our whole story about our family. <laughs> and Phillips wished to collect blankets. And I literally, back then I was extremely shy. I wasn't one to just get out. I'm, I'm more of a listener type sure. person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I made 500 copies of this letter that I had written that was three pages long. And I stood, literally stood. And this was first week, second week in December. First, no. First, the end of the first week of December, I stood downtown. I, I literally, everybody that walked by me, I said, take this, take this, take this. I wasn't oh going to have, I wasn't going to have a conversation because I didn't want to, I just, yeah. I was too shy. So anyways, um, I handed out copies for a few days and I remember when I got my first phone call, so I had my number listed, my address listed, everything was listed. Mm. And I got a phone call from a young lady named Jennifer McAllister. And she says, my husband and I would love to help you collect blankets. And I thought, I, I remember crying, thinking, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Yeah. And uh, she does my website to this day. Oh, wow. <laughs> so That's great. A- yeah, we've had a 20-year relationship. Oh, that's wonderful. Friendship. Before we go any further, I want to let our listeners who are listening in on the Bottom Line show on our terrestrial radio know uh, that today here on the Bottom Line, uh, you're listening to the powerful testimony of Cindy Bunch. She's the, uh, the, the well, the I want to say you're the driving force behind the 5,000 Blankets movie, but actually that's more yeah. of a, a Philip thing. And don't you love the fact when God gives something to our kids, uh, we've all been there, you know, hey, can we get a rocket ship to the moon? Or, you know, the, the crazy ideas, you're like, sure, fine, whatever. You're just kind of hoping it'll go away. But God kept yeah. using him. God kept speaking yeah. through him that he was relentless. And you're, you're coming up like Moses saying, God, why me? I'm not a public speaker. I'm not a public person. Yeah. And yet 
a ministry was born when Jennifer and her husband reached out and reached back, I should say. Yeah. So they reached out to me and um, she says that, you know, we'd be happy to help. And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get some blankets. So then she said, you know what? Even better, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a website. I'm a web designer. Mm-hmm. And she says, do you want to take this further than just blankets? And I said, sure. You know, so we talked about that, but we didn't really move on to that part yet. And then I got a phone call the very next day from a reporter mm. in DFW, a big station here in DFW. And he says, you know, told me his name. He said, I would love to have you and Philip on the show. Mm. and let Philip, you know, and help Philip in his mission to collect those blankets. I don't know. I gave, I gave that letter to a reporter and didn't even know. So yeah, he was Mm. one of the people that got the letter. And so we went on his show and I didn't say much of anything because it was live and I was, yeah, yeah, (laughs) you know, it was really scary to me. So Philip did most of the talking and a gentleman asked him, he said, well, Philip, what, uh, how many blankets do you want to raise? And he said, I think we're going to need about 5,000. <laughs> now, did he just kind of pull that number out of thin air or was that something he'd heard or how did he come up with that? that I don't amount? know, but there's a verse in the Bible about 5,000 fish or 5,000. Mm-hmm. So I know it was a God thing that that came out of his mouth. It had mm-hmm. to have been. Yeah. And so um, the very next day, no, it was a couple of days later, or was it the next day? I can't remember. It's been so many years. I got a call again, <clears throat> and it was from a gentleman by the name of Larry Postel. And he's out of Dallas, and he's a screenwriter. Mm. And he's he said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but my name is Larry Postel and I'm a screenwriter. And I didn't know what a screenwriter was. I right. had no idea. And he says, I'd like to write um, a story. Or I'd like to write a screenplay about your life. Wow. And um, I said, okay. So we met the next day and then he started interviewing me and he interviewed me over the, um, the six months. Mm. And he, would, he followed my journey. He actually mm-hmm. went out on the streets with me when I was oh out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did. Um, and he said, I'm going to try to sell this, which he did. He sold it to another company, but it just sat there and mm-hmm. it sat there and it sat there. And I just never really thought much about it. But at, in the meantime, we were still running Phillips Wish and we <clears throat> started a food bank in our garage for the local community, you know, low com- low income families. Um, and then the blankets turned into sleeping bags and tents and mm, love it out on the streets every Saturday and Sunday, you know, um, feeding people and just it, it, it and it just keeps growing, you know, with, with diapers, you name it. We and we were running it all out of the garage, which we still are amazing, like the overhead. Uh-huh. So, anyways, um, I get a phone call. Eight years later, it was the year before last, and it was Larry, the screenwriter. Uh-huh. And he said, "Hey, Cindy, this is Larry. Remember me? I'm the screenwriter." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I remember you." He says, "Well, your rights 
for the movie reverted back to me. And I, I said, okay, so what does that mean? He says, that means I can try to see if I can get it into uh -huh. the hands of a producer. Uh -huh. I'm like, okay, yeah. that sounds great. <laughs> and he says, uh, but I need to pay you something. And I said, oh, you can buy me $100 worth of blankets and we'll take it from there. Mm. I didn't really think it would really land in the hands of a producer. And it did. He, um, it landed in the hands of Caption Production. Doug Schaefer was the producer. And he took it to Sony Affirm. And here we are. Wow. Cindy Bunch is my guest today here on this Movie Monday here on the Bottom Line Show, and we're talking about the movie 5,000 Blankets. 5,000blankets.movie.com and also philipswish.com or up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we've got information on how you can see this movie for free on PureFlix. That info's coming up next as the Bottom Line continues. Hey, if you're in the baby boom generation or in Generation X, even if you're in the greatest generation, and you're wondering why your pension isn't holding up, you're wondering why your 401k or IRA is about to fall apart, I want to invite you to a special free event that will answer all those questions and help you redirect your financial footing. Are you interested? Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial Services is hosting a free screening of the outstanding new documentary called The Baby Boomer Dilemma. It's an expose of the pension and retirement fund system and basically helps you to Avoid the pitfalls that many Americans make when they're investing their money into long-term savings for their retirement. The tickets are free. The screening is coming up on January 21st at 1130 a.m. at the Gem Theater right here in Garden Grove. But here's the catch. You have to call Wilson Financial to reserve your tickets while they're still available. There are at least 50 seats left for this 100-seat intimate screening, and I want you to have them. Call Dennis right now at 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or drop us a line here at the Bottom Line Show and K-Bright Radio, 800-227-5278. Make your plans to be with us on January 21st, Saturday, 11.30 a.m. at the Gem Theater in Garden Grove to watch Dennis Wilson and the presentation of the Baby Boomer Delight. Dilemma. It's going to save your retirement for sure. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Cindy Bunch is my guest today here on the program. Cindy is the protagonist, if you will, in the brand new movie called 5,000 Blankets. It's a movie about her husband's uh, wandering into the homeless world uh, because of mental illness. And Cindy and her son, Philip, in their search to find him, uh, Philip, at age five years of age, had his favorite blanket one night. He was tucked into bed and he asked his mom, mom, does dad have a blanket like this to sleep with? And she said, I don't know. And she says, well, let's give him a blanket. And so they started looking at the homeless people who were in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and decided to set a goal of raising 5,000 blanket donations so that every homeless person in their area would be uh, warm for the evening. And uh, the story is chronicled in the brand new movie called 5,000 Blankets, which is streaming exclusively at pureflix.com. I have one six-month membership to Pureflix, a six-month subscription absolutely free to give away right now since it's movie monday 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line again you're asking for the pureflix subscription pureflix.com it's six months for free you can stream anything on pureflix especially this brand new movie Five Thousand blankets 800-227-5278 more in just a moment as the bottom line continues one of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through 
Preborn ultrasound. And our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and last at least 10 years. Now take that cost, $15,000, and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now. Having this conversation about the new movie, 5,000 Blankets, which had been in theaters in December, and now we are pl- proud to announce, I'm pleased to announce, that it is currently streaming exclusively on pureflix.com, and we have yeah. a great friendship with our friends at Pureflix. If you're looking for great resources uh, as far as Christian films, television programs, etc., Pureflix is the place to go, and now you can watch uh, 5,000 Blankets on the Pure Flix platform. What has the response been like first to the movie when it was in the theaters? What was it like for you, Cindy, to see yourself being played up on the big screen, as they say, and then what kind of feedback have you gotten over the past month or so now that it's been streaming as well? The feedback is great. People people are loving this movie. I went to, let's see, one, two, three theaters the first night it was open that mm-hmm. it opened up and people were literally on their feet at the mm-hmm. end clapping mm-hmm. yes they were yes. clapping and i was i kind of went incognito yeah i was gonna say did you go with an entourage or did you just kind of put the dark glasses on and sit in the back yeah. of the theater <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah. and then the second night we had a premiere in dallas mm-hmm. and of course they had the balloons and everything and i was just like didn't feel that i'm not one of those showy type people Right. But it was like cameras were flashing everywhere. It was crazy. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, they had um, rented out five theaters and they oh were they were all full. Mm-hmm. And the same response. Of course, I went to each theater and I had to talk, say something. So I, I would get just say hi and thanks for coming and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But we got the same response. Same mm. people on their feet, people crying. Yeah. Miss Texas was there. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Yeah. So I got pictures with her. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. And Philip was just like, Philip very, very incognito. He didn't want anybody to know. Now, isn't that, that's so interesting because I love, we're talking with Cindy Bunch today here on the bottom line. She and her uh, son, Philip, uh, the founders of philipwish.com and this outstanding ministry that really started from the, the just a desire for a five-year-old boy saying, I hope my dad has a blanket knowing that he had 
kind of wandered into homelessness and and mm-hmm. uh, and, and and the fact that the story has a very realistic telling of Philip's dad's struggle with mental illness and there is no Disney happy ending, you know, with regard to his continued struggles. And I, I appreciate the fact that you look at the intersection of homelessness and mental illness, that you look at young kids who, you know, have a why not moment, you know, 5,000 sounds like a massive number and let's, let's get that many blankets. And turns out that's kind of a typical night in the Dallas Fort Worth area in terms of homeless, oh, yeah. the need for blankets. So, I mean, it's how God spoke through, through him, but I would imagine, Cindy, you've got a lot of young people who would look at this and and say, "Wow, maybe my world is a bit bigger than my TikTok channel, you know, or my social media exactly. page." And talk, talk about how and that every, kind of response. Yeah, I think that this film should be shown in schools mm-hmm. because children, believe it or not, are great teachers. Yes. As far as compassion and um, humility, I think they could take this film home to their parents and say, "Mom, hey, I want to collect socks for mom." They, it's a, it's a, a teaching moment. It's the children teaching the parents because we get parents sometimes get in their own little bubble, their busy little bubble, right? And if they listen to their kids, I mean, really listen. I think it's God speaking through a child because in the Bible, it says a little child shall lead Lead them. Yes. Yes. So I just think it would be the coolest thing if we could get it into schools. And eventually I'm going to try to do that and churches and churches as well. Yes. uh, Get it into the church because a lot of people are in their little bubble in their church and they don't actually get out of the church. They go fellowship with other believers, but Let's get out there and make make things happen. Amen. Well, for, as a pastor who's been a part of churches for the past three decades that have had movie nights and seen how it inspires congregations of members of all ages to to get more involved in sharing the gospel by meeting tangible needs, I highly recommend the 5,000 Blankets movie. And it's been such an honor to have Cindy Bunch with us today here uh-huh. on The Bottom Line Show. 5,000BlanketsMovie.com is the website. Uh, Cindy, it's available now on Pure Flix, uh streaming as well uh talk about what that how that's impacting the mission of philipswish.com um, just getting the word out for me was just getting the word out about mental illness and homelessness and how it all comes together and people always stereotype the homeless right which is very upsetting to me because they're people just like you and i they're no different they're just unsheltered and they need love and care. And um, I think personally, this is just my opinion, that the mental health system has failed in that area. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have insurance, you don't get help. It's, sa- it's the same for drug addiction and alcoholism. I consider that a disease, just like mm-hmm. mental illness, because there's not enough help. There's not enough free drug rehabs. And if there are, well, I know that one in birth but it's right in the middle of drug alley so the Mm. minute they walk out of that door they walk into drugs wow so it's like a vicious cycle so i you know we can't look to government to help with everything it's going to take people not just churches it's going to take all of us working together as the body of christ all of us amen 
Amen. Well, you're, you and Philip have such a, a commendable story to share that you've been so open with. And I'm grateful for our time to together today with Cindy Bunch. Again, the movie is 5,000 Blankets. 5,000blanketsmovie.com is the website, streaming exclusively now on pureflix.com. Cindy, great to get to meet you. God bless you and Philip, and thank you for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you. And you can direct people to our website as well. It's philipswish.com with two L's. And yes. you can actually... Ask me questions, send me emails, and I automatically respond to every single email. You can make donations online. You can ship things online because I personally, I cannot do this by myself. I'm not right. a wealthy woman. <laughs> <So> we, <laughs> and we don't have any salary employees. So. Mm. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And well, and, and, and your kind of introverted nature, I, I share with that with you as well. So I'd much rather have people reach me through a website and just respond back that way than have to go out in the street corner and hand that? out 500 flyers. Isn't yeah, that right. Some people yeah. I, I, I call back or I'll call them, they'll leave their telephone number and I'll call them out and say, I appreciate this. Thank you so much. And how can I help you? And what's your question? And they'll tell me their personal struggles with their wow. family, Wow. which I think is amazing. Yes. It certainly is. Well, Cindy, thank you so for the work you're doing, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Roger. Well, great conversation with Cindy Bunch today here on The Bottom Line. It's Movie Monday here on The Bottom Line Show, and the thing about the weather and, and how it's challenging for people who are homeless and ways that we in the body of Christ can help out. The movie 5,000 Blankets lays out a pretty good uh, template, if you will, and uh, the movie is now available on pureflix.com. It's streaming there, and we have one six-month subscription to Pureflix to give away right now. Crystal is taking your calls. She would give away stuff even on the holidays. 800-227-5278 here on this Movie Monday here on The Bottom Line Show. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. A great movie to watch here on this movie Monday on pureflix.com, and that is 5,000 Blankets. Giving away one free six-month subscription to PureFlix. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, it's MLK Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, remembering his birthday uh, here in the 2023 edition of that. Where have we gone and how far have we come? What kind of progress have we made with regarding race relations, especially in the church? Recently, a couple of women, one African-American, one Anglo, uh, got together and started having some conversations about race and ethnicity in the church and in the nation. Uh, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith and author Lori Stanley Roloveld wrote a book about their experience called Colorful Connections, 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Lori Stanley Roloveld is going to join me to talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, on this segment of the Bottom Line Show, we're going to get into an area of conversation that many people would say is long overdue, and that is a discussion with regard to uh, race, ethnicity, and how we in the body of Christ can, should, have in the past, and maybe hopefully will in the future, accomplish said task. There's a brand new book out called Colorful Connections, 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, co-authored by Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith and Lori Stanley Roloveld. And uh, Lori's with us today to have a conversation about this. Lori, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Thanks for having me. This is a, a, a well, how did the dialogue start between you and Sandra? I mean, I, 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 let's get right to the core of this, because I think more and more people have a heart's desire to say, OK, we've seen what's happened in the culture over the past 40, 50, 60 years, and some of it's good, but a lot of it isn't good. And the church sometimes just kind of sits idly by saying we don't want to 
be complicit, but sometimes what they say, silence is violence. You know, so how, how did you and Sandra start having the conversations that led to what we see in this book? Yeah, that's the position I was in. You know, I'm a, I'm a white writer, from, which is not something I, I used to say about myself, that I was a white writer. But in the summer of 2020, I was being very silent in my, in my writing about um, issues of ethnicity, mostly because I really felt like the message I was receiving was that it was sort of my time to sit back and listen, that I... Mm-hmm wasn't necessarily welcome into the conversation right now because other voices needed to prevail. But, um, but, but one of my readers challenged me at one point, I had written a book previous to this called the art of hard conversations. And one of my readers challenged me and said, you know, we really need to know how to have hard conversations about this. Can you write a blog post? Mm-hmm. And uh, that was my entry into this. And I, I, I thought about that question about am I a racist? And I thought, really, that's a problematic question. It's kind of a dead-end question. It doesn't right. really get us anywhere. What are better questions that we could ask? And that's what I wrote about. Mm. So from that, my publisher at the time, uh, my editor, Steve Barclays, called me and said, you know, that looks like that would be a book that you can't write about yourself. Mm-hmm. And um uh, Sandra Dalton Smith and I were in the same, we traveled in the same circles. We weren't friends. We were friendly. We'd sat together at one luncheon at a writer's conference. We shared uh, an agent, but I I was really impacted by her book, Sacred Rest. Mm-hmm. And so I took a chance and I reached out to her. I knew very little about her except her email mm-hmm. and um, invited her to write this book with me. So uh, I learned you know, from that conversation that she's, you know, I knew she was a doctor, but she lives in Alabama. I live in in Rhode Island. And uh, initially her first thought was no way. She was exactly <laughs> in the same position I was. Like, why yeah. would I touch this conversation? Mm-hmm. But that's where we started. Well, it's a, it's a healthy start too, I believe, because you're modeling for so many people in the body of Christ what we believe needs to be modeled just in terms of a lot of people are saying, I don't know how to start this conversation. I don't know what to say. And then we live in a media driven area where social media really is about winners, losers. And, you know, the the winners try to humiliate the losers and the losers try not to get beat up too badly. But you see people who do this for a living, basically, you know, and, and that that really fans a lot of the flames. It doesn't always get to where people really are in the dialogue. And I think the fact that you said, hey, look, this is me. I don't Sandra's coming from her perspective. And I'm coming from mine. And we just sat down and start and tried to figure this out. And I'm grateful mm-hmm. that you did. One of the things that you write about in the book, uh, Colorful Connections, is to be committed to the conversation. And that, that sounds like something, a step that you had to take, but also Sandra had to take as well. Talk about why that was so important for you both. Yeah, we needed to make sure that, you know, we actually sat um, down together over Zoom and and talked about how we were going to have the conversation and set up some ground rules for ourselves mm-hmm. about, you know, like, look, if we're in this, we're going to be in this. We're not going to walk away because we're hurt. We're going right. to, you know, if we, we're going to assume that we'll hurt each other. And, and so we need to commit to one another. Why are we doing this? We had to ask ourselves why. Because honestly, neither of us, what has been a big lesson to me is that neither of us felt like we had anything to say but when we started talking to each other that's when we found our message was that there was so much that she and I share about our passion for Jesus about the fact that all of our lives in the church we have seen multicultural worship and and but we've been frustrated that that doesn't translate outside the church 
and that we we want to be part of the solution. We, we you know we believe that the solution is in Christ, but then as Christians we need to start talking. So um, that's why it was so important for us to commit to dialoguing with one another. We try to, as you said, try to keep it as real as possible. I would. Mm-hmm. She would start a chapter and send me her response to a question cold, and I would answer it cold, and it was, you know, terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's still mm-hmm. sort of terrifying to be prom- even promoting this book, but I learned something from every conversation. Mm. And I think that's so wonderful that you can uh, be bra- strong enough, brave enough, have the courage to actually not only step into the fray here, but then to have the dialogue with people that follow up. Uh, Lori Stanley Rollebelt is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. She and Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith have co-authored a great new book called Colorful Connections, 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, you mentioned earlier the fact that uh, you know one of the questions that you were asked uh, prior to putting this together is, are you a, a racist? And and the, and your your response was kind of you know it, we could get defensive you know from that perspective and say I don't want to answer that, or you know is it possible for say black people to be racist or whatever and then you go no one wants to answer that, but I love the fact that you said hey wait rather than just being offended by the fact that someone would even bring that up and you write about this in the book you encourage us to kind of do the Paul in First Corinthians thirteen let me show you a more excellent way I mean let's just ask better questions I mean talk about what you and Sandra discovered in terms of the types of questions people ask about this type of conversations they have, and then maybe reframing those questions or just asking better ones, what kind of examples do you give us in this book? Sure. I I think that most of us in, you know, all the talking heads that are prevailing today focus on issues and conflicts, and that's where they start everything. Uh, We believe in focusing on relationships. And the person sitting in front of you, who you know, like, let tell me your story. Mm-hmm. You know, what you know, how can we, you know, tell me what your experience of being white is, or Hispanic, or black, or, or Filipino, or Asian, whatever your experience is. Tell me what your experience is, and and can you listen to mine? Can we can we be slow to slow to speak and quick to listen? Mm-hmm. Can we be slow to take offense? Um, you know, what I, I don't believe I'm a racist. I've had interviewers ask me that. So, Lori, are you a racist? Yeah. And like you said, they've never asked Sandra that question. Yeah, right. Which right. we laugh about afterwards. But, you know, I think if I thought I was a racist, I wouldn't write the book. But, you know, so I don't, I don't consciously harbor hate in my heart for anybody. But do I believe I can learn to love people better? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do I believe that, you know, do I believe that there are ways that I'm not seeing justice? that that's biblical and should be absolutely so you know there are places for all of us to grow do i want to leave um you know how do i want to leave things for the next generation both of Mm -hmm. us sandra and i both raised children i'm i'm older than she is so mine are adults already but what's the legacy we want to leave for our children so there are a lot of really productive questions to ask yeah, and I love the fact that you brought up the uh, the biblical mandate to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because that works on both sides of the equation, you know, in terms of the people who are having the conversations, because I'm sure for every person who needs to listen more and hear the stories of people who've been impacted by racism in our culture, there are also people, too, who have been impacted by it, who there's certain trigger words or certain, you know, things that might come up to where it just, you kind of go off half crazed because that's such a painful memory. And to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to rush into that. I'm going to learn, I'm going to trust that to God. Uh, that's a, 
it's it's not easy work, but it is rather simple when you get right down to the strictest definition of the word. Lori Stanley Rolevelt is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about her book called Colorful Connections, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. I want to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what do we do next, because we're living in a culture that is what's been dubbed the quote-unquote cancel culture. People just get ghosted you know, and, and, and ignored altogether. And then there's the call to justice. I mean, we see calls for justice in Scripture, and yet in the culture and in the media, sometimes it doesn't always line up. How do we love justice from a biblical perspective as opposed to just trying to appease the cultural masses? We'll talk about that with Lori Stanley Rolevelt on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, Movie Monday edition of the program. So we are giving away one free Pure Flix subscription. It's a six-month subscription. At, you can stream the movie 5,000 Blankets and many others on Pure Flix. My thanks again to Cindy Bunch, uh, whose life story is depicted in the movie 5,000 Blankets about her husband's battle with mental illness. And when he wound up homeless in the streets of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, her then five-year-old son, Philip said, gosh, is dad going to have a blanket? He's going to be warm enough. And uh, mom said, well, let's make sure that he is. And so they started with the goal of raising enough blankets for everybody in the Fort Worth area, about 5,000 people who are homeless. And now philipswish.com is uh, uh, outreach to people in living in street ministries and, and needing uh, you know, food and shelter and that type of stuff. So the movie's great. And on this movie Monday, wanted to give that away, that six-month subscription to Pure Flix. So Crystal's still taking your calls up until the top of the hour, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Right now, we are at the midpoint of my conversation with author Lori Solomon Roloveld, uh, who is the co-author of a powerful new book about, uh, well, ending racial strife and doing what we can in the church to have more uh, and healthier dialogue. The book is called Colorful Connections, 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're giving away a copy of that book as well, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we talk about... Uh, What's happening in society, especially as it comes to race and ethnicity, I'm amazed that uh, more and more people are finally starting to step up and say, look, I don't know what I should ask or whatever. This is a, the book, Colorful Connections, is literally an email exchange, a series of email exchanges between Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, who's African-American, and Laurie Stanley Roloveld, who is white. Um, with questions that a lot of, let's face it, there are a lot of things that I believe the people in the Caucasian community think they know, but really don't. Then there's the issue of how do I ask the question without being insulting or rude or whatever. And then there's the, you know, the part on the African-American community of saying, you know, how much of this am I willing to rehash or talk about? How many things should you know? You know, in all honesty, there's a lot of history that we don't know simply because we weren't taught. And one of the best ways to begin that dialogue is to basically say, you know, I, I never knew that. I, you know, I, I, tell, me, tell me more. It does involve sharing openly and honestly. It also involves listening very, very carefully. Um, and if you can give voice to pain without blame, boy, that is huge. If you could express anger without ridiculing someone or feeling like there's going to be some kind of retaliation. You know, think of it like your prayer life. When you come before the Lord and you ask for something that's really outlandish. And we've all done that. God doesn't reject us. 
he just says, you know, this is what is my will, and you pray according to my will in the name of Jesus, and I will answer that request. It's like when uh, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when there's Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and Peter says, hey, let's build three little tabernacle-type things for you guys, and God speaks down and basically just ignores Peter. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that what Peter said was wrong or that Peter should be chastised, but rather God's saying, this is more important. When people ask questions about race or privilege or discrimination, there are a lot of times we want to go right to our neutral corners. It's always this way and it's always going to be that way or it was never that bad and it's getting better and whatever. It's way more interesting. Can you, can you imagine if you had that universalist approach to if God had it to sin? God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. Okay, fair enough. But what does that mean? To many people, that means the sin of the world has been forgiven. Now you just go and do good things and live a nice life. But ultimately, in addition to the sin of the world, there's the sin of Roger. There's the sin of each of us individually. You don't have to deal with my sin. I got to deal with my sin. You got to deal with your sin, right? But the idea is that each of us will stand before the Lord and will believe in our hearts that since God raised Jesus from the dead and his death pays the penalty for our sin and his blood washes away the stain of that sin, that we've been forgiven and we can repent. And the the, the issue here is that's so interesting. It's the same thing when it comes to the issue of racism. Yes, you may never have come from a situation where you experienced it that much or maybe you didn't come from a family where, well, we're not racist and that type of stuff. But it's amazing to me when you listen to the cries of the heart of people who have been impacted by it, how much you can learn just by listening, without lecturing, without trying to tell somebody else how they felt, without, you know, and, and, and realize there are certain things that you can course correct on or that you can advocate for and other things that you, I mean, you can't short of, you know, the, the Lord's return. The conversations are a lot more colorful. The connections, I think, are more meaningful if you will spend more time listening rather than lecturing, you know, uh, and, and hearing, really hearing, without, uh, you know, trying to interpret quickly and then put out the fire before it gets to be too uncomfortable for you, you know? Uh, if you could let someone voice their pain without trying to point blame on anybody, I mean, that's half the battle right there. Um, we've given away a copy of Lori Solofeld, uh, Stanley Rolofeld's book, Colorful Connections, 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations. The book's up at thebottomlineshow.com, uh, 800-227-5278. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. And tune in every weekday at 9 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. right here on Kbright. Lori Stanley Roloveld is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. She is the co-author of a brand new book with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. It's called Colorful Connections, 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And during the break, we were talking about, uh, Lori, the fact that you are now a race expert and uh, will be teaching. <laughs> no, no, nobody is, but I think there are, some, there are some commonalities and there are some really, really basic things that a lot of people don't fully understand that just by doing what you and Sandra Dalton-Smith did, uh, you know, black woman, white woman getting together and talking about what's mm -hmm. happening, um, that you can see, hey, wait, there's a lot more commonality. I love the fact that you talked about the legacy. You know, it's not just about right now exclusively, but what kind of legacy are we leaving for other people? Because a lot of the same mistakes that keep getting made from generation to generation to generation, um, you know, that we, 
the only way we're going to change it is if someone breaks the cycle. Uh, you have a, a chapter in your book called Love Justice, and I know that a lot of people are going to be drawn to that chapter because they see the George Floyd situation. They see, you know, any of the BLM stuff from the last decade. And this is not just for black versus white. I mean, Sandra's African-American, you're white, but this is anybody who has differences in terms of ethnicity. They're going to see that, though, and they're going to say, OK, well, what does justice look like? Do we just write checks? Do we name parks? You know, do we have special holidays? I mean, that doesn't seem like justice. That almost seems a little patronizing. Talk about how you and Sandra addressed the issue of biblical justice in light of the conversations you were having about racial discrepancies. Yeah, I loved it. You know, like, I think I said that we we took um, turns starting chapters, and she she started this question of what does biblical justice look like in our time. So when I, I had no idea what she was going to send me and what I had to react to, mm -hmm. and what I was so thrilled about was that she uh, spent a lot of time quoting Tim Keller, who's mm -hmm. one of my favorite pastors to listen mm -hmm. to, and yeah. and I was really excited at like, okay, she didn't jump to. You know, I had assumptions about where she was going to jump in terms of biblical justice. Instead, she she took a step back, which is exactly what I would do, and say, let's look at what justice is looks like in the Bible, mm -hmm. and and look at like Jonah, looking. You know, like we do have to go outside ourselves and think about people who are different than we are, and think about people whose experiences are different, and um, and look at what biblical justice is spelled out. Uh, you know, how it's spelled out in Scripture. Right. And then a lot of it needs to be, we need to look locally first, because I don't know, you know, what's happening in Detroit. I have no, like, that's so far from my experience, being a Black person in Detroit, and the police in Detroit, as opposed to where I live here in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, it, like, it's really important to to listen to the people who are local um, and and to prayerfully consider what justice looks like. But I, I think that it's that um, we have to look all along the way for points of agreement. I, I talk in that chapter about having an explosive conversation with a group of friends about reparations and whether or not, you know, that's what we should be about. And, and, and the table is full of white people. But we all, you know, we, we all disagreed on where we should go with reparations. But at one point, we stopped and said, Let, wait, wait a minute. Let's look at all the things that we agree on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was a lot that we could agree on. The one thing that we couldn't agree on was, the, the you know, the, the final action. Right. But, right. like, it, it helped settle the conversation down to go, like, we all see the, the problem. We all feel responsible to contribute. We all, you know, mm -hmm. to, like, remind ourselves, then we could go back and say, okay, now I think I can listen to you because I remember how much we agree. Yeah, yeah. And, and that that looking for the common ground gives you a, a chance to be united rather than divided. And I know one of the things you, you talk about in, in the book, Colorful Connections, is the fact that we are the church, we're the body of Christ. So we are first and foremost going to all the world and preach the gospel. But at the same time, you understand that, uh, well, what was that famous quote from Martin Luther King Jr. about 11 a.m. on Sunday being the most segregated hour? You guys ta tackle that in the book, too. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of conclusions, what kind of observations did you both, you and Sandra Dalton-Smith have, Lori Stanley Rollerbell, about that issue of the black church, the white church, the Hispanic church, the Asian church? Aren't we, is heaven's going to be, you know, all the different ethnicities together? Shouldn't the churches look more like that? Where'd you guys land on mm -hmm. that? 
Yeah, I mean, we both felt strongly that, of course, you know, most of us should, you know, our aim should be to reflect the variety that God created. God, you know, in our worship, worship is for God. He loves variety. He created variety. And so rather than look at it as an inclusion piece or, or something around diversity, we should look at how what pleases God. And what pleases God is when all of his people can come together and worship. Now, for each community, um, personally, I think that you should make sure that your church reflects the diversity of your community. I live in a 95% white area. Uh, you know, my church does, you know, we have a lot of international people living in our area because of the university. Mm-hmm. So we do, you know, sort of by God's providence, reflect the variety. But but some people live in a completely Hispanic neighborhood or completely black. So, right. like, you know, there shouldn't be any shame in the fact that you're gathering together and you're not necessarily, if you reflect your community, that's a plus. Should you then, you know, like reach out to other communities and look to, for opportunities to worship together? I think that that would be ideal. And if you don't reflect your community, that's a serious conversation for the leadership of the church to say, why don't we reflect mm-hmm. our community? Mm-hmm. Do people yeah. not feel welcome here? And what can we do about it? Yeah, I was talking with a, a dear friend of mine who uh, has, uh, she's of Japanese descent. She married a guy who's of Chinese descent. And she's a singer and speaker. And so she said, basically, anybody with an Asian background is like, oh, we want you to come. And I thought it was so interesting because I don't necessarily speak the language, but there's that kind of comfort in their community because there are a lot of different Asian varieties that are showing up in those churches. And I thought, well, then that's an interesting way to look at it because, you know, if God likes the diversity and, and so by all means. But if there is a language or a cultural thing that people wouldn't understand, sometimes you do feel a little more comfortable. But I love the fact, Lori uh, Stanley Rollerbelt, that you're talking about the spiritual component first and foremost of what brings us together. The spiritual component, you know, in terms of what does justice look like, you know, from a biblical standpoint. And I think we really can hope for lasting change, you know, in, in this area, using a lot of these principles. Great new book from Lori Stanley Rolofeld, along with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. The book is called Colorful Connections, 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Couple minutes left in our conversation, Lori, and you uh, at the I, I commend you, applaud you for not saying follow these seven steps, and we're going to solve all of our nation's problems. Thank <laughs> you for thank you for doing that, but rather focusing on okay, this is a difficult conversation for a lot of people, and as Christians, we're not called to sit on the bench. We're not Switzerland here. We are called to be, you know, John seventeen, God, Father. I'm not calling them out of the world, but protect them while they're in the world. Talk about some of the keys that you and Sandra came up with to kind of uh, facilitate the productive conversations that a lot of people, let's face it, we just kind of look to other people and say, oh, I'm glad that pastor or that uh, politician or whatever is dealing with this so I don't have to. You're really calling us all to get off the bench and get the game here, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, we say do what you can, not what you can't. I think that was my problem, that I was sort of paralyzed at the idea that I I can't solve racism. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I thought we'd be way past this by now. So I thought, well, I Mm -hmm. give up. Well, I don't, you know, in Christ, I can't give up my hope in Christ. And we can't give up our hope that together in Christ, we can't move forward. We can't solve the whole thing, but do what you can, not what you can't. And so we, we include very specific 
steps that people can take in this book to start where you are, start with people that look like you and begin to ask these questions of each other. We did interviews with people of other skin colors. Um, Sandra is African-American and I'm white, but we did interviews with people of all different skin colors here. Uh, One of them is a a worship leader for my church is Filipino. And when we, um, different people from my church have read it, they've been like, we didn't know any of this stuff about her. I was like, see, we're not even asking the people that we love that sit in the next pew. We're not even talking about this because we think we're all set. And uh, that's open conversations. So, you know, we need to lose our fear. Anything we do out of fear is obviously not from the Lord. And, um, and for me, this has been a big step, just having these conversations with Sandra and then having them now with other people has made me realize, like, oh, what was I afraid of? Yeah. I, you know, we can actually move toward each other as we move toward mm-hmm. the Lord together. I love that. I, and I think if anyone who is listening to our conversation right now is feeling that nudge, I highly recommend this book, Colorful Connections, because it will give you the opportunity, first and foremost, to just kind of take a look at this from a biblical perspective. Know that there's a lot of what you learned from other people about this issue that just isn't true. <laughs> and then there are a lot mm-hmm. of things that are true, but it's amazing how when you take these the seven keys for tough conversation, but then apply scripture to it in terms of quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's amazing how much more productive uh, these conversations will be. Uh, Laurie Stanley Rolevelt, uh, thank you for, for taking the chance, for reaching out to Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith and saying, hey, why don't we try this? And uh, for responding to what your, uh, your readers came to you with and saying, hey, uh, please don't sit this one out. Um, I, I think you've, you've done our readers and listeners a great service with this brand new book, Colorful Connections, which we have a link for up at thebottomlineshow.com, 12 questions about race that open healthy conversations. Uh, Lori, thank you so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you for having me. It's a good conversation. It's a great resource, too, and I highly recommend it. That's why we have a copy of Colorful Connections, 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations, up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we got a copy we're giving away right now. Let's keep Crystal busy. She's going to get lots of calls, not only for the uh, the Pure Flix uh, giveaway, but also for this book as well. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book is called Colorful Connections, 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations by Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith and my guest today here on The Bottom Line, Lori Stanley Rolofeld. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, as we continue, today, of course, is Martin Luther King Day. Everybody remembers the I Have a Dream speech. My goodness, the 60th anniversary of that speech coming up this August. But did you know that that speech was... Well, a lot of it was improvised. Maybe it wasn't just improvised. It was the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through Dr. King himself. The man who's responsible for being the architect of that speech has some comments with the Wall Street Journal to share. We're going to take a listen to them coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for the book by Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith and also Lori Stanley Rolefeld. Uh, the book is called A Colorful Connections, 12 Questions, for us as Christians about race that open up healthy conversations. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. A great book for us to be having a conversation about here on MLK Day, Martin Luther King Day, and 
This is the day, of course, that we commemorate the birth of Dr. King, but also we remember his legacy. And of course, this is the 60th anniversary. It was April, August 28th, 1963, that Dr. King spoke before a quarter of a million people at the uh, Washington Mall in front of the Lincoln, excuse me, at the front of the Lincoln Memorial and made the famous I Have a Dream speech. But did you know that a lot of the I Have a Dream speech may or may not have been scripted? It may have been divinely inspired. Let's get into this audio now. I discovered it earlier today. Uh, the man who was responsible for writing the speech, uh, literally, I mean, the kind of the architect of it, Dr. King had speech writers and he was a great orator. Uh, but Clarence B. Jones gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal not too long ago, explaining something rather divine that happened with the speech. Let's go ahead and listen to this in his own words. Uh, uh, Joel, go ahead, cut number one, if you would. The uh, speech really consisted of two parts. There's the written, prepared text of the speech, and there's that part of the speech which he speaks extemporaneously, was not contemplated by the original text. My role is that uh, I had drafted, for Dr. King's use and consideration, a summary of ideas that we had talked about on at least two or three occasions prior to August 28th so that I frequently hear people say that Dr. Jones crapped the I Have a Dream speech. That is not true. What I did simply was to draft the text, the wording of the first seven paragraphs. I did not realize that they were going to be the first seven paragraphs until I heard them. And then to that seven initial opening paragraphs, he added his own paragraphs. And there came a point when while he was reading from the texts of the speech, a shout from his favorite gospel singer, Mahalia Jackson, who was on the podium. And she shouted to him, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. I noticed when she shouts to him that he looks over at her in real time momentarily, but then he takes the text of the written speech that has been prepared and he slides it to the left side of the lectern grabs the lectern, looks out on more than 250,000 people there assembled, and I turn to the person standing next to me, whoever that is, I can't remember. I said, these people out there, they don't know it, but they're about ready to go to church. <laughs> Boy, isn't that inspiring? I mean, I know having prepared a few presentations in my day, have pastored uh, for a number of years and had the opportunity to give sermons, to give talks like this. Uh, never in front of that larger group and never in such a momentous occasion. You know, I mean, I'm talking 7,500 people at my local church congregation. And anytime you bring the word of God, you're, I mean, you're entrusted with precious cargo, as it were. But to think of this moment 60 years ago, here's Dr. King, and he's got prepared remarks, and you know the whole world is watching this guy. The FBI is watching this guy. I came across a report earlier today, yet another one of those uh, theories. Uh, that said, hey, you know, J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI, they were after him. They basically were hoping that either someone would rub him out or that he'd wind up taking his own life. So he wouldn't be such a quote unquote problem to the Justice Department. Understanding, of course, this is a guy who didn't always have the welcome wagon coming to greet him everywhere he was. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested 29 different times 
for peaceful protests. And the majority of time, I mean, they would trump up the charges. He's arrested for disturbing the peace or obstructing justice or resisting arrest. But most of the time he was arrested for being a black man. He went into areas where, you know, the, the white folks weren't not happy with him being there. There were church bombings. There were uh, George Wall. I mean, as a matter of fact, there's a, a point in this speech where he addresses George Wallace and says, look, the, the governor of Alabama is, you know, fighting against everything that we're doing here. And there were many people who were doing so in the quote unquote name of Jesus. But the idea that everything you hear that I have a dream, that one day my children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. You have to wonder, yeah, he had this dream and he'd had it before. There's Mahalia Jackson over the corner said, tell him about the dream, Martin, tell him about the dream. But the fact that he was extemporaneous, dare I say he was led by the power of the Holy Spirit to share those thoughts with those people and the world and to have that memorialized in a, uh, such an iconic presentation that we have to ask ourselves the question 60 years later, is that dream ever really going to become a reality? Let's talk about something I read from a faith-based publication earlier today that left me a little concerned and left me a little wanting with regard to this conversation about whether or not Dr. King's dream is something that we'll see in our lifetime in this nation. And if that should be the dream of every believer when it comes to ethnicity, differences, and racial reconciliation. We're going to talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know, I have a dream as a dad, as a grandpa, as a husband. I mean, I have a dream that every child that God conceives in the United States right now will have a chance to see the light of day and breathe. Whether, whether or not that child breathes outside the womb for a couple of minutes, a couple hours, or a hundred years. But there are enemy forces against us right now that are working to keep those kids from living. How are they doing so? Well, they're aborting babies. And that's why I encourage you to support the work of Preborn right now. I want to thank a couple of bottom line listeners uh, who gave donations. Uh, over the past couple of days, this past Friday, Daniel from Riverside called in a $140 donation, $28 per child. That's five more ultrasounds performed at preborn clinics. And then Lisa over the weekend from Laguna Beach, $240 donation. That's for 10 kids, 15 kids saved over the weekend because of the bottom line and preborn. Make a donation today. It's $28 provides one ultrasound for one woman. 83% of the women who get ultrasounds wind up keeping their children or releasing those kids for adoption. Make your best gift today. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy MLK Day to you wherever you may be, wherever you're listening to The Bottom Line Show. If you're listening online, listening on podcasts, catching this part of the show on myhopenow.com. And if today is a holiday for you, if it is... I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line at thebottomlineshow.com. If it isn't, has it ever been? My wife and I were talking earlier today. Uh, Lisa works full-time from home, and she's working for a company that actually takes the Martin Luther King holiday. And she said, baby, you know, this is probably the first time in maybe 30 years I've gotten the Martin Luther King holiday off. I know a lot of companies that acknowledge it's a federal holiday, but don't necessarily take it. How about, I have a dream that <laughs> one day everybody will get Martin Luther King Day off. And President's Day, 
while we're at it. Not quite sure where those two holidays don't always uh, land on the company roster for, you know, taking the days off. But nonetheless, we will be here with you on the Bottom Line Show. I want to get into a final cup, uh, clip here from uh, an interview given by Clarence B. Jones. Uh, he's a senior. He was an advisor to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of his speech framers, if you will. And he gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal talking about the I Have a Dream speech and the fact that when Mahalia Jackson spoke out to Martin Luther King Jr. at the podium at the Lincoln Memorial and said, tell him about the dream, Martin. And then he went basically off script and let God speak through him. Let's go ahead, cut number two now and hear more from Clarence. From there after, the balance of the speech in real time was extemporaneously spoken and spontaneously spoken so that that portion of the speech which is most celebrated in this country and around the world, the I have a dream speech. That is not the speech that he planned to give. first heard Dr. King use the phrase, I have a dream, I thought it was very poetical and very creative. I thought it, uh, it played up to his strengths as an orator, as someone who could speak and write images. In the book that I wrote, Behind the Dream, the making of the speech that transformed a nation, I say that I had seen Dr. King speak several times before. Never had I ever heard him speak that way as I heard him speak on Wednesday, August 28th. It was with such passion. It was it has such a timbre, a certain quality, is, in the book I said it was like watching or capturing lightning in a bottle. Yeah, boy, isn't that the truth? Uh, what a magnificent presentation from Martin Luther King Jr. 60 years ago this summer on Wednesday, August 28, 1963. Of course, you can find the I Have a Dream speech everywhere. It's being featured all over the place today because today is the day we honor Martin Luther King Jr. The third Monday in January has been a federal holiday for nearly 40 years. And it's the day we commemorate Dr. King. And my concern is it's a day we commemorate Dr. King. And then we put those decorations back in the box right next to Christmas, just in front of Valentine's Day. And then we forget all about it. Uh, we're still taking your calls for the last couple of minutes here uh, on the book by Sandra Dalton-Smith and Laurie Stanley Roosevelt. It's a great book for Christians called Colorful Connections, 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations. We have one copy to give away. Crystal is taking your calls at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, let's take tomorrow and the day afterward and the week after that 
and the month after that, and the year after that, and the decade after that to keep this conversation going. I mentioned earlier, I got an email from a Christian organization earlier today, and they said, are we going to be racist or are we going to be colorblind? And I thought to myself, do we have, are those the only choices? I mean, last time I checked, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created mankind in his image, and he made us of all different tribes and tongues, ethnicities, and he's okay with that. I don't want to be a racist. Nobody does. But if you're colorblind, then you're kind of, that's kind of like saying, I'm going to look at everything in nature in black and white. God's a God of nuance. God's a God of subtlety as well as power. Can we give voice to pain of our racist past without blaming anyone? Can we express anger without ridiculing anyone? Can we ask questions about our different backgrounds with no guilt, no shame, just what's your experience? You know that old song, I think from the 70s, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. How do we as Christians serve as agents of change, of healing, of reconciliation, not just peacekeeping, but peacemaking? Can we solve the whole problem by ourselves? Of course not. But what kind of influence can you have when you let the light of Christ shine? When you say that not only am I the hands and feet of Jesus, but I'm the ears of Jesus. I'm the eyes of Jesus. I want to reflect the heart of Jesus for pain that people have gone through. God can work all things together for good for those who love him, but we have to be willing to do that. That's the bottom line. 